Christmas, everybody. All right. All right, man. How is the late crew doing? All right, all right. You always are all partied up and ready to go. I, I always love this service because this is the most rowdy one, so we were really grateful. And this is our last one, too, man. So we've been kicking it out since noon. So... Uh, <laughs> we are ready uh, to give it everything we've got here, baby. Nothing's going to be left in the tank when we're done. So we are just so glad uh, for, the, for that you have joined us tonight. And especially if you've come as a guest, if you're here with family or friends, uh, thanks so much for being with us. It really is our honor to have you. And um, our goal for tonight is to kind of take you on a transcendent journey. If you've uh, seen our promotional material, we're looking at Christmas as a transcendent adventure. And a kind of a funky word, but literally what it means is it's outside the material universe, and so it's not limited by it. And I don't know about you, but I've never actually thought about the reality, and this is actually true, that Christmas actually starts in heaven. I, I think my, my, most of the time we just we think about the baby Jesus being born, but the reality is it starts in heaven. And that's what we want to start our service off with. So if you could just take a minute and think about heaven. What's heaven look like for you? What's it like? Because I, I know for me, when I think about heaven, I mean, I'm thinking perfection, I'm thinking glory. I, I, like, I know it's where God resides. And I also know this, it's where we're the first time where we see Jesus. Because Jesus really is the eternal, always has been, always will be God. And so if we're going to look at him and his birth, we got to take a look at him in heaven before he actually came down to earth. And so that's what we're going to do. And right now, all over the world, one of the things that happens in the Christian church is, man, Christmas and Easter, those are our two, you know, we call us creasters, you know, kind of a thing. But when Christmas happens, man, we rise up and we just, it, it brings our worship to God, just it takes it kind of to another level. And that's also what happens in heaven. And I want, before we go into the actual birth of Christ, I want to just read something real quick for you that shows us kind of a little bit what it's like up in heaven all the time. It's found in Revelation chapter 4. John was kind of given a, a peek into heaven. It says, day and night, these living creatures, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor, and power, for you created all things, <clears throat> and by your will they were created, and they have been created. Yeah, so, so Christmas in heaven, where Jesus, where he was before the actual birth ever took place, was a place of awesome celebration, and exaltation, and worship of who he was. So that's how we're going to start our service tonight. We're going to kind of just peel back heaven, and take a look in, and how these words might be sung. Now, here's the deal. The other thing I know happens in heaven is I know you give it, everything in heaven is you give God everything you've got, man. You give all of yourself to him. And I just want to say, this guy's right up here. They, you have no idea how many hours and days and weeks they have literally put in just for the service for you, but not really just for you, out of their worship to God. So as they do this, to me, it's a taste of heaven, of giving God all our glory. So here you go. Let's look at heaven. It's going to sound a little bit like K2's tile, though, so you guys ready? Put your seatbelt on. All right, here we go. Oh. So does that work for anybody else? Does that feel like heaven to anybody else? You know, it, it was awesome. First service, somebody goes, no. <laughs> 
And I saw, and, I, and I'm sitting there actually thinking about that because I know most of the time when we think about heaven, we got like organ type music and harps maybe or something. But, but I, I again, uh, even now the fifth service, I, I just sat there again, and all I could see was knowing these guys' hearts and knowing their desire to give God all honor and all glory and to use their gifts to honor Him. I just pictured Jesus just sitting there going, "Oh, this is good. This is really, really good." And so here's the deal, you guys. The angels are singing in exaltation. Glory is going on all over the place. Heaven is just filled of the joy of the Lord. And here's the deal. It's because it's the center of where God is. And our God is glorious. And where I think His glory shines the most is in His love. And the word that hit me this week as I was thinking about the love of God is it's unadulterated. It is absolutely pure and perfect and holy in its passion and its heart towards us. And that's where Christmas begins. See, Christmas needs to start in heaven because it starts with the love of God. That's where it starts. If Christmas has a once upon a time, or I guess it would be once beyond time, it starts in heaven with the heart of God. And what happens is I think God, sitting in heaven, took a look down at the earth And he just said, you know what? It's not acceptable what's going on down there. There's way too much pain. There's way too much struggle. There's way too much emptiness. Too much conflict. There's too much just separation from me. I I love the world. And the world needs to know that. And that's why I think with the classic Christian verse of John 13, for God so loved the world. So he had a plan, you know? And, and, and so when I think about heaven, I, I was thinking about, well, what was going on up in heaven right before Christmas morning, you know? What was happening? And, and, the, and it's kind of weird, but all month long, all I could picture of uh, was Braveheart. Um, any Braveheart fans in here? Okay, so, so bear with me here. But this, was the, this is the picture I had of maybe what was going on before, before uh, Christmas. Is, uh, it's the scene where all these guys are gathered together, uh, all these warriors, and I think it's like in a big pub or something, and they're just packed in there. And you can see on their faces that many of them are really scared. They're nervous because they're trying to figure out if they're really going to go into battle or not. All the nobles are sitting around the table and they're sharing their wisdom back and forth of why they should and why they shouldn't. And then I have this like, I don't know why, but I have this crazy, uh, uh, just, it's just stuck in my brain picture. Remember Robert the Bruce? You know? And he's sitting there and he's, just, he's, got, he's sitting by the side in his furry coat and he's just, he's grim because he doesn't know what to do either. And it's all this wonderment of what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden, William Wallace walks in and everything changes. Why? You know why? Because William Wallace had a passion. And William Wallace was absolutely determined. And he had a will. And nobody was going to thwart that will. And next thing you know, he casts the vision and he gathers all these guys around him. And before you know it, they're willing to jump in with him. He goes, I'm going in. And they're going in, and we may lose our lives, and we don't care. And you know why? Remember why? He says, because we're going to fight for what? Yeah, it's more like, freedom! You remember that? Sorry. Um, But I mean, he was willing to risk his life and to risk the lives of all those men. For one thing, and that was for freedom. This is how Christmas fits into me. You know what I think was going on in heaven? In heaven, we have a God... Who has a will? And he's determined. And being sovereign, as he is, who can do whatever he wants, he says, you know what? We're going down. I have a plan, and I've had it since eternity. 
And my plan is Christmas. So Jesus, you're the man. And what I love about it is here's Jesus, as Philippians 2 tells us, who being in the very nature God. How did he respond to this? And I, and I love it if it's in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. And it says, therefore, when Christ came into the world and said, in other words, therefore, when there was Christmas, he said this, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. And then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. Guys, this is where Christmas starts. It starts in the heart of God who looked at a world who was in need. It starts in the heart of God who looked at people just like you and said, I'm coming down to rescue and to redeem and to restore this world. And so all of a sudden, the one who created the world was going to enter his creation. It's crazy. To leave heaven and to come down And to find himself in the womb of a woman is Christmas. And that's where we're going to begin. It all happened in a moment. And as moments go, this one appeared just like all others. It came, it went, it was preceded and succeeded by others just like it. It was one of the countless moments in history. But in reality, that particular moment, it was like none other. For through that segment of time, something unbelievable occurred. God became a man. While creatures of the earth walked completely unaware, divinity arrived. Heaven opened herself and placed her most precious one in a human womb. The omnipotent in one instant made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. And he who had sustained the world with a single word chose to be dependent on the nourishment of a young girl. God as a fetus Holiness sleeping in a womb. The creator of life being created. God was given eyebrows and elbows, two kidneys and a spleen. He pushed against the walls and floated around in the amniotic fluid of his mother. God had come near. Yet, he didn't come as a flash of light or as an unapproachable conqueror, but as one whose first cries were heard by a peasant girl 
and a lowly carpenter. The hands that first held him were unmanicured, calloused, dirty. No ivory, no silk, no hype, no party. Were it not for the shepherds, there would have been no reception. And had it not been for a group of stargazers, no gifts. Heaven watched as Mary changed God's diaper. The universe watched as the Almighty learned to walk. He played in the streets with other children. And had the synagogue leader of Nazareth known who had been listening to his sermons? You know, Jesus may have had pimples. He might have been tone deaf. Perhaps the girl down the street had a crush on him. Or vice versa. Maybe his knees were bony. But one thing is certain. He was, while completely divine, completely human. For 33 years, he would feel everything that you and I have ever felt. He felt weak. He grew weary. He was afraid of failure. He was susceptible to wooing women. He got colds. He burped. And he had body odor. His feelings got hurt. His feet got tired. And his head ached. You know, to think about Jesus in such a light, it seems almost irreverent, doesn't it? It's not something that we like to do, it's uncomfortable. It's much, much easier to just keep the humanity out of the incarnation sweep the manure from around the manger, wipe the sweat off his eyes, pretend that he never snored or sneezed or hit his thumb with a hammer. He's easier to stomach that way. There's something about keeping him divine that keeps him distant, packaged, predictable. But don't do it. Let him be as human as he intended to be.
I think this is part of the adventure of God, the adventure of Jesus Christ, that we need to really look at when we look at Christmas. And uh, let me read for you in Philippians chapter 2. It says, Jesus, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. I mean, God was going to have a chance now to experience what it's like to be human. Now, that would be us. Can I just ask you a question? Is it very easy to be human? I'm telling you, man, being human is really tough. We've got all the relational conflicts trying to deal with each other. We have our own inner conflicts with all the emotions that go up and down and carry us all over the place. We have our wacky thoughts that we've got. We've got our physical things that we have to deal with. Um, We just have our limitations and weaknesses. I mean, humanity, being a human can be really tough. And one of the things I love about Christmas is Jesus saying, okay, I want to I I taste that. In fact, really, if you think about being human, sometimes it can just be downright embarrassing, can it, <laughs> to be human? I mean, how many times have you sat around with a group of people and some of you say, hey, let's share our most embarrassing moments? Don't you love that? And uh, it's usually some guy who doesn't have a really good one and he just wants to hear all yours, you know? And, uh, but I, I was just saying, seriously, if you, if you think about it, being a human being at times can be humiliating. And um, I was with some uh, people recently, and they were telling me a story uh, about a friend of theirs. And you always have to say, too, when somebody tells a story about a friend, you know, is it really the friend? But anyway, Uh, but they were telling me a story about a friend of theirs and um, a gal who was in like a department store, some sort of like a Walmart or a Target or something of that nature. And uh, she had her cart, and she was going along, and then all of a sudden, just out of the blue, like in a smack, her stomach, she just felt this horrible gurgle in her stomach, and she started feeling awful. And she said, oh, my goodness, I've got to go to the bathroom like now. And the bathroom was all the way in the back in the opposite side of, of the store. So she took her cart and she's just making a beeline for that bathroom as fast as she could. And she didn't make it. And all of a sudden, in an instant, she had diarrhea and it just came. And she had a skirt on and it just flowed right down her legs onto the floor. She's busting to the bathroom, gets inside the stall and sits there and just hides. Can you feel the pain? Can you guys feel it? Okay. While she's sitting there in the stall, another woman comes in and she goes, I can't believe I just slipped in somebody's stuff and she had fallen in it. And she was just like, oh my goodness, hiding in this stall. Now, now isn't this a great Christmas story? You guys are just going, what, where, am I at the wrong church? What did, what did I just do here? And, uh, <laughs> and I, I even asked my wife, Susie, can I share this story? And... Um, But you guys, it is the perfect Christmas story. And here's why. Because what do we do with Christmas? We all dress up. I mean, somebody was teasing me when you got to give those pants back. You know, you borrowed those from somebody, you know. I mean, it's like, but here's here's the deal. We all put on our face. And when we think about God and when we think about church, we think we got to make ourselves look all pretty and we got to put our masks on and our, our marriage is great and our kids are wonderful, even though we screamed and fought all the way here. And we just, we cover everything up. And Jesus was just saying, you know what Christmas is for? Christmas is for you and I to remember, you know what? It's tough being human. And sometimes it's downright humiliating. You all have your humiliating story. You have your stuff that you don't want anybody else to know that's about you. We all have it. I'm telling you, that thing right there, that manger, is a big part of what God wanted us to understand about him. You guys know what a manger is, right? It's a feeding trough for cattle. I mean, when, when God came into the world, he said, hey, you know what? I'm not going to go to the glorious places, man. I'm going to lay myself right in a feeding trough. That's where I want to start. Because I want to get into your world. 
And I want you to know, I want to struggle just like you do. I want to experience what it is to be human. And you guys, one of the most encouraging things for us is in Hebrews um, chapter 4. It says this. It says, for we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with us about our weaknesses. We have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he's without sin. So let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us. Help us in our time of need. And I'm telling you, if you're a human being, you have found yourself needing help. And I think partly, you guys, what Christmas was for, part of the adventure for Jesus was to say, I'm going to take on your flesh so that I know what you go through so that I can help you. Now here, let me ask you one more question. As a human being, is it not hard to follow God? I mean, if if there's anybody in here that's not hard for you, you know, please share the secret. I know for me, my flesh wants to do nothing but follow God. That's what sinful nature is. It's just been away from Him. And it's tough. And, and, and I think this is the ultimate reason that Jesus wanted to take on our flesh. Because he said, you know what? Because I can tell you this. If Jesus could stand here, he'd say, I know now. Because it's hard to follow when you have opposition every day. And that's what Jesus had. He knows what it is to be opposed. He knows what it is to be rejected. He knows what it is to be betrayed. He knows what it is in his darkest moment to have his closest friends abandon him. I mean, he knows. All the relational stuff you've gone through, he knows. But he knows how to keep going. And I think he knows how to help you with that. And then, and even more importantly, Jesus experienced, as the scripture just I read just said, every temptation. And I'm telling you, you and I, do you not experience temptation to not follow God? And Jesus experienced immediately the temptation to not follow his father. And I like how Eugene Peterson put it. He said, we don't have a priest who's on, out, of our, out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing. He's experienced it all. All but the sin. And there's the key. He walked in our flesh. He was tempted to not follow his father. But he always did. And so then it goes on. So let's walk right up to him. And get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy and accept the help. If you need help to follow God, we have a high priest who's been down here who says, I know how hard it is, but I did it. And I can help you do it too. And you guys, you need to remember, that's partly what Christmas was for. Jesus coming into the flesh so he could experience what you experience, so he could help you be victorious in it. That's good news. Now, here's what's so cool about Jesus too. He didn't, it didn't end there. The adventure wasn't just to become human, but it was also to become the lowest human. It was to become the lowest being that he could, the servant of all. And that's part of the glory that we find in Christmas as well. So let's take a look at this. So let me read this again. Jesus, being in the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant. This was part of Jesus' adventure. This is part of what Christmas is about. And I would say for me, it's been one of the parts that never ceases to amaze me. The fact that the God of the universe, the God who is the greatest being in all the world says, can I just tell you something? I'm actually a servant. 
I mean, and Jesus said it in Luke chapter, or Mark chapter 10, verse 45. He says, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. So the Son of Man came Christmas. I, the reason Christmas it wasn't so I could get served, it was so I could serve you and to give my life as a ransom for many. And, and I just got to tell you, you know, see, when I, when I, I kind of image God in my mind, and I think about him, usually, well, no, all the time, God's on the throne, right? <laughs> and, and I'm like on my knees before him, rightfully so. That should be my position to God. But I, I got a question for you. Do you ever picture God at your feet? And when you picture God and you think about him, do you ever see him at your feet? Uh, my guess would be you probably don't. You're probably like me. You picture God up there. He's big and he's grand. But I'm telling you, um, somehow I think through Christmas, if you never get the picture of God at your feet, then you don't ever get God. He came to be a servant. In fact, uh, this basin back here is kind of an image of that. Um, one of the things that was interesting about Jesus is the first time he actually showed off his divinity. First time he did a miraculous sign. He was at a wedding and uh, they ran out of wine. And so the guys came out and they said, what are we going to do? And then they said, uh, this is Jesus. You, you, I think you're special. Um, can you help us out? And Jesus does. What he does, he takes water and he turns it into wine. Now that's pretty cool. But I got to tell you, it's very interesting to me that the first time that Jesus does something miraculous to show his divinity. It, you know, because he did some, he may heal people, he cast demons out of it, he rose people from the dead, right? He did amazing stuff. Then one of his first things he did was just an act of service. He just turned water into wine, which is cool. But it's just an act of service. And I think that was trying to tell us something. I mean, he, when, he, when he was around, there were thousands of people who would be around him. And all the time his disciples were trying to protect him and kind of get rid of him, you know? And, and, but Jesus was the one who would always say, no, I, I want to touch this person. I want to talk to this person. I want to love these people. He was always being the servant. Even when there were thousands around and it was late at night and it was time to, the disciples came out and said, man, Jesus, you got to send these guys away to go get some dinner. I'm sure they're all hungry. What's Jesus say? Uh-uh, let's feed them. Let's feed them. And this is what he was about. And then right at the end of his life, I mean, right at the end, the last supper, there's a towel on that basin too, because you guys, if you if you're in church, you remember the story. But what he did is he he uh, in that culture, I mean, everybody walked everywhere, right? They didn't have our cars like we do. They walked around. They had sandals. It was a desert culture, so your feet would just get grimy and gross. That would be really gross. And so when you get to a guest house for dinner, whoever was the lowest on the totem pole would take the water, you know, jar and go around and wash everybody's feet. You know, ugh. You know, we do washing ceremonies and we know our feet are all clean. <laughs> Theirs were not. But see, that makes sense in our human culture because that's, what, that's how we work, right? I mean, if you're the lowest person, then you're the one who serves everybody else. I mean, you don't try to get promotions so you can serve. You know, I mean, that's like crazy. But for Jesus, he goes, no, you guys don't understand God. You do not know my nature. So what does Jesus do? He walks over as the guest of honor, as the one who's the highest. And he grabs the basin of water and the towel and he washes his disciples' feet. Even the one who was going to betray him, which always amazes me. You guys, what was he trying to do? See, I, I think by being born into a manger, to a peasant couple, by the way he lived his life, he wanted us to understand something about the nature of God. Christmas was a chance for Jesus to be in the flesh to show us what God is like. And he wants you to know today I love you. 
And I actually came so I could serve you. And if you don't know God as one who serves you, um, how cool is that? You have a whole other realm of possibility to understand the nature of God. Now, here's what he said, though. He said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And then he said, and to give my life as a ransom for many. So we're going to move to our third part of what the adventure for Christ. Part of his adventure was to be human. Part of his adventure was to be a servant. But then ultimately, to really understand Christmas and to celebrate it at its core, you have to understand that when God came into the world in human flesh, he did it to be the Savior of the world. And that was the ultimate adventure for Christ. And let's take a look at that now. tell you something. I can't believe I let you drag me to one of these places again. Oh. It looks like all these paintings were painted by some six-year-old on heavy drugs. Come on. You were the one who said you wanted to spend time together. And I don't know. I think you might like this. Don't think I didn't see you drooling over those nude paintings. Well, I'm not dead. I just, I just don't get all this abstract stuff. I mean, I mean this one right here, Marcy. What is, what is that even supposed to be? Oh, that one. That one's called Savior. Savior. More like save me from myself. I should have went to the game. Seriously, honey, this is an important piece of history here. Would it kill you to try to understand it? Okay, okay, fine. Explain it to me. Okay. So I know that, that a little bit of this is really out there, okay? I know that. But it's not that hard to understand. So just take a look at it and tell me what you see. I see a man. Anymore? I mean, what is so savior about a man? John... This isn't just a man. This is a man worth painting. I mean, maybe this is the artist's way of expressing his need for a savior. I mean, can't you connect with that? You mean me personally? 
Yes, you. Wait a sec. Are you saying that I need a savior? Well, well, I don't know. I mean, don't you ever have those times where you feel like you need to be saved? From what? Marcy, we've been through this. We're doing well financially. We have a huge house. We have nice cars. We've got great kids. I know. You told me. But is that it? I mean, really, is that all there is? What about the bigger picture? I mean, bigger than our family, bigger than your job. What about the deeper issues we deal with? Yeah, you know what? I've thought about it. Maybe that's what this is all about. (laughs) What's so funny? Oh, wow. I was just thinking that uh, I could use a savior from another Christmas dinner with your family. Oh, that's funny. No, you know what? Are you and your mother even going to talk this year? I cannot believe you're bringing this up. No, you won't. It's just going to be another Christmas of awkward silence between your mother and you because of all your unresolved issues. You just don't understand all that we've been through. Marcy, that's because you won't talk about it ever. I don't talk about it because there's nothing to talk about. I told you, it is not my fault. It's not my problem to fix. Oh, really? You not having a relationship with your mother is not your problem. Can you keep your voice down? Look, Marcy, it's it's still broken. And neither one of you is is even willing to to fix it or try. So what? (laughs) So what are you telling me? That that now I need a savior to fix my problems? Is that what you're telling me? Oh, thanks for the insight, no, honey. I That's I don't great. know, Marcy. I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe both of us could use one and just show us where to start. So anybody here ever need some saving? Um, if you're human, you do. And we all got our own issues. We're all different than everybody else. And what my issue is, your issue isn't. But we all got them. Sometimes we need to be saved from some relational stuff. And just some conflicts that we can't get resolved. Um, and just being to get rescued would be great. <clears throat> Sometimes it's our own inner conflict. Um, that we need some, some help with. Just our own emotions that just go up and down and control us. Our minds go wacky. I mean, we've got so many limitations and so many things that we struggle with. And what's so interesting is when I think about Jesus, again, Christmas starting in heaven was the love of God looking into a very broken world and saying, I'm, I'm coming down in there. Not to condemn it, but to save it. Uh, to rescue it. And there, the word also that in the scripture that's used a lot is redeem, which means literally to buy it back, to take something that was lost and to buy it back and to get it to its rightful owner so it can be restored to its rightful place. And I think that's what Jesus really came to do. And that's ultimately what Christmas was for. And I know as a Christian, and, and uh, automatically I want to go right to the cross. I just want to, you know, like that's salvation. And, and it is. But before we go there, I, as I thought about Jesus, though, um, 
before he ever got to the cross, he was doing some saving when he would enter in people's lives. I was thinking of the guy who used to sit by the pool of Bethsaida. It was a pool um, that they believed that if, if, if you could stir the waters up and you had some sort of infirmity, that if you got into the water, it, it would bring healing for you. And Jesus walked by that pool one day and saw this guy sitting there, and, and the guy was, he could tell he wanted some help. And so Jesus said, hey, can I, would you like some help? And the guy said, yeah. He goes, uh, I'm, I'm paralyzed, I'm an invalid. And so every time they stir the waters, I can't get into the water um, quick enough. And so... Um, Jesus said, you know, and by the way, this guy had been like that for 38 years. 38 years. And Jesus said, well, do, you want to, do you want some help? And the guy says, yeah, I do. And he said, then get up, take your mat and your walk, and it happened. And he restored this guy's life. There was a woman who was bleeding for 12 years, bleeding for 12 years. And I know in 2009, I, I often get really frustrated um, our medical community is so amazing to me that when that when so, when an illness or something can't get diagnosed, you know, and I have some friends like that, it can't get diagnosed. That's really that's just so frustrating to me. Can you imagine what the medical community was like two thousand years ago? <laughs> and you would have had to have been bleeding for twelve years. Jesus walked by. She reached out, touched touched his cloak, and it says that Jesus felt his power release, and he said, "Who touched me?" And the woman touched him, and the verse says, and she felt in her body that she was free from her suffering. See, this is what Jesus wants to do. Mary, name Mary Magdalene mean anything to you? Mary Magdalene was one of the women who was actually at the cross with Jesus. One of the few people, everybody else abandoned him, and she was there with a couple other women standing there at the cross. You know why she was there? Because back in Luke chapter 8, it says that she was actually possessed by some demons, and Jesus freed her from that. Seven of them, actually. We have no idea how they were manifested, whether it was physical or emotional or intellectual. We don't know how. But for somehow, demonic oppression was holding her down, and Jesus released her from that, set her free. You got the woman who was caught in adultery. It's an amazing story to me. You got all these religious guys who got their act all together who find this woman caught in adultery, which always made me say, how, what were you guys doing that you found her? You know? Anyway, uh, but they, they, they take this woman and they throw her in front of Jesus. And they say, okay, Jesus, what are you going to do with her? We caught her in the act of adultery. They have stones in their hand. Because they know what the law demands. And then it says that Jesus got on a knee. He bowed down and he was just had his finger kind of going along in the dirt, doodling around. We have no idea what he was writing. Uh, people love to kind of, you know, have all these theories about what it was. One of my favorite theories is he was actually writing all the sins of these other guys. I like that one. Uh, and it might have been because maybe their palms were getting a little sweaty, you know, as he was writing down some things. Because while he was down there, he looked at him and he said, okay, <clears throat> so whoever hasn't sinned, you go ahead and throw the first stone. And slowly, one by one, they all dropped their stones. And he looked at her and he said, woman, is there no one here to condemn you? And she said, no one, sir. And so he said, then neither do I. Go and leave your life of sin. Leave it. Be free from it. And on that day, he saved her life. There's another guy, Zacchaeus. I don't know if you guys know that song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Okay, good, thank you. All right. Uh, but uh, he was a little dude, apparently. And, uh, but Zacchaeus was a tax collector. In fact, a chief tax collector. And in that culture, that meant you were pretty much corrupt. 
And the Israelites at that time, they really despised them because they were partnering with the Roman Empire who were oppressing the Israelites. And they would take the taxes from the Israelites, the Jewish people, and then they would always take more than they actually should and hoard it for themselves. So they would make lots of money. Basically, what tax collectors were is they were people who lived a life completely opposite of the way that God wanted them to. All right? So in, in Luke chapter 19, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and he was passing through and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. Uh, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but he was short, and so he couldn't because of the crowd. So he ran ahead, and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see, to see him, and since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, which is, you know, you a, so you got to picture this, right? There's a huge crowd, so much so that the guy, because of his short stature, couldn't see. It's tons of people, so, so Zacchaeus climbs up in the tree. And I can imagine what the crowd is. The crowd's probably full of a bunch of religious people, you know, probably a lot of people who are his followers and stuff. And so this guy who doesn't follow the ways of God at all climbs up in this little tree. And then it says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said, Hey, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. I must stay at your house today. I love this. You guys, this is Christmas. Do you understand? I don't, you got to catch this. What Jesus did is he walked around this whole crowd of people. And the one person he saw was the one person that we least know in the story who was living opposite of the way that God wanted him to live. Can I ask you a question? I, you know, I, I don't know a lot of you in here. But my guess would be, in a crowd this size, some of you might be living a life that's not exactly in a way that God would deem good or right. And you just know right now, you don't live uh, that life to follow God and you, to honor him. And what you need to know about Christmas and about Jesus is he said, I came so I could seek and save that which was lost. He goes, dude, I want the Zacchaeuses. I want the people up in the tree. I want those who aren't following my way. And then I love it. And I must, I love that word, I must stay at your house today. You're the one he wants to be with. You're the reason he came. And you are dearly loved by God. It's crazy. The story goes on and says, so Zacchaeus came down at once and, and, and welcomed him gladly. And then all the people saw this and they began to mutter. I love that word, mutter. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. See, that's the religious people. Are you kidding me? God was sinner? Well, see, we don't get him. Christmas was about God, in, again, starting in heaven out of love for people who could care less about him. About people who said, man, we don't even want to have anything to do with you, God. And he says, that's just the right time. Let me show you. I want to show you how much I love you. When you don't care about me, I care about you. And you need to understand that today. You are dearly loved. Dearly loved. The last verse he says is the one I've already said. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. The last one I want to share with you is a last story of Jesus' encounter. was with a guy named Saul. And uh, Saul was just the opposite of Zacchaeus. Saul had his religious duties down, man. He was the Jew among Jews. He was the top synagogue guy, the leader in the church. I mean, he was the man. He was so caught up in the whole structure of the, of the religious Jewish society at that time. And so his encounter with Jesus actually was after Jesus rose from the dead. He's walking down the road. He's actually like killing Christians because he thinks that's the right thing to do, right? And so Jesus shows up with a blinding light. And he says, hey, Saul, um, I need to rescue you. And actually, what I need to rescue you from is your religion. <laughs> See, you, you, your problem is actually you're too caught up in all the man-made religious stuff. 
And I just want to say too, I would say in here, some of you are like Zacchaeus and you're just not living the ways of God. Some of you in this room need to be rescued from your religion. And for some reason, you have bought the lie that you need to work really hard and do lots of stuff so that somehow you can prove to God that you're good enough so that he'll love you. And I tell you, when God was up in heaven looking down, he was going, oh man, in my name? Are you kidding me? In my name, you're going around and you're demanding that people do all the stuff that you guys made up so that I'll love them? Don't you know? I love them! And so it's awesome. So Paul, who was this top religious guy, eventually what happened is he became the guy to give the greatest message of grace that we all go by. Ephesians, where he says, for we're saved by grace through faith, not by works, so that nobody can boast. And some of you today, you need to know that when Jesus came down, what he wants to set you free from is all of your hard, burdened, religious duty. And he wants to set you free to live for him with all of your heart, but because you know you're dearly loved. You guys, it's so different to do religious stuff to get loved versus doing religious things because you are loved. See, we're saved by grace through faith, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. But the works follow the love. Does that make sense? You guys follow me with that? The works have to follow the love. The only reason I do what I do is because he loves me. I don't do what I do to get him to love me. And if you haven't figured that piece out yet, I can honestly say you haven't been saved yet. You haven't been saved from the burden of religion. And Christ came to set us free from that. He came, so here's the deal, you guys. He came to seek and to save that which was lost, to save it. So he did on the cross, ultimately, take care of the sin problem that separates you and me from God. You can be forgiven of all of your sin. He doesn't care what you've done. He loves you and he wants to forgive you. And that's why he sent Jesus. But you can also not only receive forgiveness, you can actually receive him. See, he loves you so much. See, everybody, like some people will say, man, if we could have only lived when Jesus lived. Well, see, he goes, actually, it wasn't all that great because I could only talk to one person at a time. He goes, it's so much better now because if you believe in me now, I can send you another advocate. Just let me, the Holy Spirit will come inside you and I will actually get to dwell within your heart every moment of every day. See, this is it. This is how I can empower you to live. This is how I can give you hope and strength. How I can, can kind of kind of help you to know when you're getting off the path. Because I'll live inside your heart and I'll let you know to bring you back so you can live the life I created you to live. This is how when you're tempted, instead of just falling into it, I can give you the strength to say no. This is how I'll actually come inside you. You guys, see, celebrating christmas is great i mean you think wow god came to earth that's really cool and it is but you got to understand why he came to earth to really be able to celebrate christmas i I gotta be honest with you all month long i more than normal this year i couldn't wait for this day i couldn't wait to celebrate christmas because for me personally again i'm just in awe and i'm so grateful that all of my sin is just wiped out and i don't have to worry And I am so grateful for Christmas that God loved me enough to send Christ to save me from my sin so he could live inside me. And on this day, 
more than anything else. I think you need to know, and God wants you to know, through the celebration of Christmas, that Jesus came on an adventure to take on your flesh so you could, He could help you get the help that He wants to give you. He wanted you to know that He came to serve you. He loves you that much. And He wants you to know today, I've come to save you, to restore you, so I could be with you every moment of every day. Oh, the love of God. See, that's what Christmas is for me. Christmas for me is, God really did love the world so much that He gave His one and only Son. Not to condemn the world, but to save it. So I want to pray for you. And again, I don't know what's going on in your heart right now. You know, probably nothing. We've sure been praying that something would happen. If something is going on, can I tell you this? In this moment, as I pray for you right now, if you're sitting here going, man, I need that love. I need that help. I need that strength. I definitely need His forgiveness. I, if I can actually be reconciled to God and have Him in my life, I want it now. And if you feel that tonight, while I pray, you can ask Him to simply come into your life and to forgive you of your sin and to receive the Holy Spirit of God. And I'm telling you, if you will, you will never be the same again. And you will go on an adventure that is absolutely real and it is transcendent. See, I think Jesus went on the transcendent adventure, the one that's beyond this world, so that you and I could go on it too. So that our experience in this world could actually be out of this world (laughs) because of God living inside of our heart. So as I pray, if you would want to pray as well, I encourage you to do that. And you, if you want to open your heart to God today to receive Him, that's why He came in the first place. Let's, Let's pray together. Father, I just want to start off um, so many things in my heart, but I think I just want to first off just say thank you so much for loving the world of which each one of us is a part of. Thank you for loving us so much that you would send Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for loving us so much and for loving your Father so that you would actually say, here am I. Here am I. I have come to do your will. And we worship you at Christmas time because you took on our flesh and you walked in it perfectly down here. You defeated sin. You defeated death. And you can live in us to help us to defeat it too. And we praise you for that. And we also worship you, God, because you're our servant, which is just the craziest thing again to me. And I just want to pray for everybody in here who can't even fathom a God who would love us that much to lower yourself, to wash our feet. I just pray that by your Holy Spirit you might reveal the nature of who you are to us. Because I know, God, that all of us in this room, we need your love. We need it. We need help, man. 
We're humans. And in some areas, somehow, we're struggling. So Lord, I just want to pray for every heart in this room who has never tasted the sweetness of having their sins forgiven. For every Zacchaeus in here that just needs to know that you're saying, I must spend today with you. I pray that they might feel that in their heart today. That you want to be with them. And you want to forgive them. And you want to walk every moment of every day with them. And I pray if they would receive you right now into their heart, that you would immediately touch them deeply and fill them with your Holy Spirit so they will know, they will know, man, I just, I just met God. Lord, we worship you this Christmas season because your love for us is so amazing. I do pray that we would understand it, believe in it, trust in it, and walk in it every day of our life so we could honor you, so we could could have so much love in our heart that we could love each other. I pray that this Christmas season would be a royal celebration of the freedom, the restoration, and the salvation that's in Jesus Christ. As we close now, God, as we sit with you now, we pray for this love to be real in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, I hope you know that. You know, it's wild, like, um, this Christmas, you know, when you're a dad, I don't know, man, I don't know about any other dads, I, I, all I want is I want my kids to know I love them this Christmas, don't you? I mean, I've been very, Susie and I have been very strategic about our gifts, because when they open them, we want them to know we, we love them. One last story, I was talking with a guy, I had some lunch this week with a guy, Dave York, he goes here, his wife, and, his wife Mindy, and he had uh, have adopted a little boy from China this year. It was his first Christmas, <clears throat> and uh, so they did some gifts, and they, they, they gave him his gift, and as soon as he got it, he just grabbed it, and he just held it, and uh, all of his siblings, their natural children, you know, they're ripping the paper out, and they're getting their gifts, and, and um, Hudson's his name, little Hudson just stood there, and he just, he just held his gift, he almost like hugging it, it was just like, this is so awesome, so Dave goes, um, Hudson, you can open it, and he's like, no. I, I, I just want my gift. And he goes, no, no, really, you, you can open it. And he wouldn't do it. So finally, Dave just went over and he started taking the paper and ripping it. You know, ripping it. And you can imagine Hudson, he's ripping my package. He's, and, um, but as he, as he ripped open the paper, see, Hudson didn't know that inside was a toy. And Dave said his eyes got huge. <laughs> as soon as he saw, man, there's a toy in there. So you guys, I feel like what you need to understand is that the scriptures are clear that salvation from God is a gift. That's what it call it. It's a gift from God. And I think sometimes when Christmas happens, it's like, man, we really like this. This is really cool. I've listened to even sports radio and the guy on there, he was talking about um, the road home and doing a fantastic, you know, just push for them to say, these guys are awesome. He goes, and this is such a great season to help people. And I said, isn't that interesting? This is the season we help people. Because as soon as January comes, we don't have to help people anymore. 
You know, even though when we do help each other, we call it the spirit of Christmas, right? And it brings more peace and joy into the world. Really, all it is is the spirit of Christ. And I feel like sometimes, you guys, we, we get the package and we, and we like it. We like Christmas the way it is. We like our religious life the way that it is. And we've never actually opened the gift. And so what, you know what God does with our life sometimes? He, he takes our life and he starts to rip it. And we go, oh, wait, 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 you're messing with everything. You're screwing it all up. And then when you finally let him and he opens up the package and you go, your eyes get wide and you go, I had no idea that I could actually have the living God inside me, that I could be reconciled to Him, that I could live every moment of every day with the God of the universe who loves me and who can empower me and give me peace and joy and help me to live life to the full. That's what Christmas was. And if you haven't received that, you've got the gift. You all got it. He died for the whole world. I hope He starts ripping it so He can open it up to you and say, Oh, man, now I found it. And you guys, this is Jesus. You know what Jesus said? He goes, here's the point. He started in heaven. Again, Christmas started there. But then he came down into the mess and he went through all the stuff that it is to be human. He eventually ended up on the cross. And then, but it didn't end there, right? In fact, the scripture says, he endured the cross. Why? For the joy set before him. And you know what the joy was? He was like, I'm taking you all with me. <laughs> The joy of Jesus Christ was to say, man, this is all worth it because I know after I pay for this and you, anyone who receives me, I'm going to prepare a place for you and you and I are going to spend eternity together. And this is awesome. And see, that's why we celebrate Christmas, you guys. So it starts in heaven, it gets messy, and then it ends back up in heaven. And now we get to join the angels and all the beings and say, praise God for who he is, for his love, for creating us in the first place, for redeeming us, and then for taking us home. And that is Christmas, and that's how we're going to end our service. So stand up with us, and let's celebrate the God who came down here to love you and love me and take us home with him. Let's do it together.